0: But Jesus, he's, he's got the human form, and so he's kind of like us. And so we're all like, let's just say we're all like in a Barbie house. And so we're in the Barbie house, and Jesus, who's a man who's kind of like with it, he's like watching the Barbie house, he's kind of playing with us from time to time, he's kind of like with us. God's way up here, and then Jesus, he's kind of like with, with us in the Barbie house. And I'm like, I didn't know I didn't know how to respond. I'm like, I'm not gonna lie, it's pretty decent seven-year-old Trinitarian theology. I'm not gonna lie, it's all right. And then Lauren, our 18-year-old, she kinda caught some of this. She's like, So what about the Holy Spirit then? Well the Holy Spirit's like a powerful wind that just kind of blows through the house from time to time. Like, hats off to Grove Kids. I don't know. I don't, I don't know y'all were doing theology on that level back there, but it was actually, it's actually pretty good. It's actually pretty good. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's not, I mean, she's not going to pass a seminary class with that, but I mean, seven-year-old, that's solid, solid. Sorry, so we have this thing called the, the Apostles' Creed. Again, people are reciting it all over the world. I'm going to give you one more week, give you a fair warning. I always tell people you can invite friends to church because so not everyone to do anything different, kind of keep things relatively the same. Starting next week, for the next three weeks, we will recite this together. But for one last time, I'll just read it and um, you can just be prepared for going old school next couple weeks. All right. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So last week as we kicked this series off, we started kind of with that first sentence there. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. And we talked about how who we believe God to be essentially is the foundation for everything in our Christian life. Like, we, if we're uh, who we believe God uh, is, will dictate how we worship, what we think is required of us. And so it's important for us to have that foundation of the very character and nature of God. And we looked at the two things that this talks about one, the almighty nature of God, that God is omnipotent, He has all power, He's limitless power. And that he's the creator of everything, that he created everything just with his word, out of nothing. And so today we're going to be looking kind of this next sentence about about Jesus. And there's a lot to say about Jesus, there's a lot to say here, there's a lot about Jesus that isn't said here. And really the challenge for this whole series is, is there's more than five weeks of things to talk about. And even if we just pick one thing to talk about, um, there was a time in my life when um, uh, I worked for this college ministry. One of my jobs was kind of doing some theological training for our staff and I would teach seven hour classes on some of these things and condensing it to a one hour class we did a couple of years ago was a challenge. The 30 minute highlights, I don't even, it's, it's, it's challenging. But what we want to do is just kind of get a taste of kind of what some of this is to kind of help us and encourage us to kind of go to a next level and of our understanding of who God is and, and what we believe. So the second sentence here about Jesus, I believe in Jesus Christ. His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. The next section talks about His death on the cross and resurrection, what that means. We'll talk about that next week. But right now, we're just kind of looking specifically at who Jesus is. I believe in Jesus, His the Father Almighty, His only Son, our Lord, conceived by the Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Again, there's probably four or five different topics all in there, but we're going to look at this one that I believe that is the most foundational piece of our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And the theological statement is this, is that Jesus is fully God and fully human. What this is referred to in Christian theology is the dual nature of Christ, dual like two, dual nature, he's got two natures, and you think, what's a nature? If I asked you what human nature is, you would have an answer to that that was probably pretty close that gives you the idea of what nature means. Nature means, is like, to have a human nature means that you have everything in you that makes you a human. There's nothing in you, there's nothing that you lack that's keeping you from being human, and there's nothing extra that you have that makes you not human. You have a nature that makes you a human. God the Father has a God nature. He has all of the qualities that God has and none of the qualities that God does not have. He has a God nature. The dual nature of Christ means that he has two natures inside of him. He has all of the characteristics that makes something God, and he has all of the characteristics that makes a person human. He has both of those things, and those two things come together in one person. And the verse that is really important, that even though it may not, may not feel like it, is the most popular verse in all of the Bible, the one that most most people know if they know any Bible verse, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now that descriptor of one and only Son, depending on where you grew up, if you're familiar with this verse, you've ever memorized it, you've ever read it, you may have seen the word begotten, only begotten, there's lots of different things. But the Greek word there, monogenous, we'll just, we'll just say it's like mono, one, genus is like type. It's like what it really has is like he's the one and only. He's the only one that is what he is. He is unique in every way. There is nothing, no one, nothing, no, there, he's it. It's not saying that, that it's the only son that, that, that God has, because all throughout scripture it refers to us as his adopted sons and daughters. But there is no one like this. He is unique in every way. and then all throughout the book of John, especially, it describes this. It describes this dual nature of Christ. I'll give you one more fancy word. I may, it may not be the only one, but w- what this is called is called the hypostatic union that somehow in one person, both of these natures exist, and you think that's not possible. If you're thinking about it, because you can't be, because there are some things that are inherent to being human, that are contradictory to being God. Let's take one of them. One characteristic of God that makes God God is He's omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. You, being human, are limited to one place at one time. So how can you have both of those natures in you? So then it becomes very confusing. And there's even some stories in Scripture that I think illustrate some of this confusion. And one you may be familiar with, at least some of you, it's where Jesus calms the sea kind of a popular one for kids. I'm sure your kids probably know if they've been coming here. But it's a story where Jesus has been ministering all day for several days, and he's exhausted, and he has the disciples who are experienced fishermen, have been out on the sea uh, their whole lives. They go out, and this huge storm comes up, and Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat. Now, when I say sleep in the bottom of the boat, don't think yacht. He's like in the bedroom in the yacht. This is like a poor fisherman's boat. So he's like in the boat. And the biggest storm these guys had ever seen, these experienced fishermen, are freaking out. Water is crashing over the side of the boat onto a sleep Jesus. And, and the waves are rocking like this. And they're screaming and freaking out. And Jesus stays asleep the whole time. Who's ever slept like that before? I have. I've had that kind of sleep. I scared my wife one. My wife thought I was dead once coming back from a mission trip. He's like, we spent two Two months in Ukraine, my husband come back and died. She could, she was, she was, she was sitting on me, shaking me like this for three minutes, and finally I was like, "What?" He's like, "I thought you were dead, right?" And so that's where these guys are with Jesus. He's that asleep, and they finally get him awake, and he's same kind of deal. He's like, "What?" Like, "Well, you mean what? We're about to die, and you're sitting there asleep." And he stands up and goes, "Stop." And nature just stops. It's a crazy story. And we teach that story to the kids. Hey, God can do anything. Jesus is really cool. But there's actually a hypostatic union kind of thing going here, right? He is so human, so emotionally and physically exhausted, that the worst storm Israel had seen in the last, at least the last 30, 40 years would not budge him. And then by his word, he makes nature stop doing what nature does. That's who Jesus is. And, 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 it's, and it's wild. And how to put all that together has been one of the great challenges of theologians and Christians for thousands of years. I'll give you one more fancy thing, and then we'll get to some, some of the more practical stuff. So in Philippians 2, it talks about this. It talks about how that Jesus, who was in his very nature God, again, this idea of nature, in his very nature God, did not regard his, his equality, his status with God to be something he was going to hold on to. But it says that he emptied himself. Fancy word, kenosis, that's what that is. He kenosis, he emptied himself and took on the form of a person. Not just a person, but a bondservant. Not just a servant, but someone who died a horrific death as a sacrifice. And so it's describing this idea that he had a God nature and that he emptied himself of something in order to also take on this human nature. And what that means and how that works is a great area to study, to understand. And now I've been talking for the last few minutes and saying things like, well, this is a great thing to learn, it's a great thing to understand, it's a great thing to know. And some of you are like, I don't know that I agree with that. Some of you are like, there's this one question that probably has been on repeat in your head since we started talking about it, and I'm not going to pretend that it's not there, and I'll just go ahead and ask this question. Why does it matter? Who cares? Why, why, why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why, why are we even talking about this? And I'm not going to lie to you. I believe the why does it matter is a very important question for theology. You don't want to just learn something and just say, well, that's just interesting. Oh, that's clever. I didn't know that. That's deep. I didn't know. I mean, it's, it's not. Now, if you end up in seminary, and I'm not saying I've ever done this. It's not, my, it's not in my nature. So you're sitting there with a seminary class, the seminary professor is going blah, 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 and then you raise your hand and you're like, why are we even talking about this? It doesn't matter how nice or clever or humble you phrase that question. You ask any question like that to some fancy theologian, they're going to get mad. It matters because it matters. I'm like, okay, fine. But it actually does. I think it's important. I think it's important for us to understand why why is this important. And so I'm going to give you first the semi-sarcastic answer that a seminary professor, uh, theology teacher, would, would, would give you. Why does it matter? Well, first it matters because it's true. Well, it's just true. And you should know things that are true. You say that you're a Christian or that you want to be a Christian, you want to be a follower of Christ. So like, Well, that means I'm, I follow Jesus. Well, this is who we're talking about. You say you follow Jesus, you should know who Jesus is. You shouldn't follow some Jesus that doesn't exist. You shouldn't follow some Jesus you, you made up in your mind. You should follow the real Jesus. I mean, there's, there's a relational component to that. I say that I have a relationship with Jesus, that I want to know Jesus. We use these kinds of phrases to describe Christian living. Well, all the more important it would then be for un, us to understand just the basic nature of who Jesus is. will give you an example. When my wife and I were first dating, we were actually in high school, and I forget exactly how it came up, and I'm the one that remembers things. So there's no way my wife, she doesn't remember how this came up. I remember exactly how it came up, but she asked me what color her eyes were. And I thought they were blue. It turns out, anybody, anybody, anybody know the, the right answer to that question? Like, well, it's not, it's not, they're green. They're green. The eye, her eyes are green. And I've learned a few things about me since then. Is that One, I, I'm not a great attention to detail person anyway. And two, I don't really notice color. In my mind, in my world, there were really two colors of eyes. There's brown eyes and not brown eyes. And not brown eyes are blue. They're all blue. It's, just a, it's a shade of blue. It's like green is not a shade of blue. My eyes are green. And she got legit mad at me. And we'd only been dating a few months. And so I ask you this question sort of rhetorically. Uh, is it justified for her to be mad at me? for not knowing that her eyes were green. Now, we've been married 25 years, if I still didn't know, sure. But of course, I mean, there's, there's some sense in which, like, she, we're in a relationship, she wants to be known. She wants me to know who she is. And so if this is who Jesus is, and this is way deeper than superficial physical knowledge of, of eye color, This is who Jesus is in his nature. And so it is important for us to know the true things about who Jesus is. But there are some other more practical reasons why it is important for us to understand this dual nature of Jesus, that he is fully God and fully human. And so it's not just that it's true and for relational purposes. It's also important for us to understand this because of how he helps us. Again, we are followers of Jesus Christ. He is the person that we look to when we have trouble. I have a sin that I'm trying to overcome. I've got some fear in my life. I've got some challenge, some obstacle. And I look to Jesus for help. That is the role that he plays. And the fact that he has this dual nature in him makes him the perfect person to be able to help us. And this is described beautifully in Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 14 to 16. Hebrews 4, starting in verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God. We'll stop right here. So this would have been a very intuitive illustration for them. He's been, up until this point, the author, been describing Jesus as a high priest and describing what a high priest is. Well, in, in Jewish theology, which is the, uh, the, the audience of this particular author, what they believed was is that a people could not access God directly. You could not pray to God and God would hear you. You had no access. Your sin was so, was so big and overwhelming that you had no personal access to God. And so the only way that you could access God is you had to have your sins forgiven, all these things. You could really only do this through a high priest. And so the high priest would take your concerns, your requests for forgiveness, your offerings, your sacrifices, you gave them to the high priest, and the high priest represented you to God the Father. And what the author of Hebrews has been saying is that Jesus is actually the capital H, capital P, high priest. He's the one that can do this. He is the one that can represent all of us. He is the one that is breaking down this barrier between you and God the Father. So we have this great high priest, Jesus the Son of God. Since this is true, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So you're sitting here and you're separated from God. Your sin has overwhelmed your relationship with God to the point to where you no longer have access to God at all. And so you need somehow to have that sin dealt with. You need access to God. You need to overcome that. And even once that has been overcome, there's just, there, there's this, this still feels like from time to time because of my sin, decisions I make, there's this gap, there's this problem that I have, and I need help. I need this high priest. I need Jesus. And he says that Jesus is the perfect person to do this. Because he's not someone who doesn't understand. He's like, he totally understands. I get it. I get what you're going through. I I, I have been there myself. I have been here on, on, on earth. Uh, Satan tried to tempt me. Uh, varying Roman government officials tried to tempt me. Jewish religious leaders tried to tempt me. Everyone was trying to tempt me. I understand what it means to be tempted. I get I get it. But it says he didn't sin. He overcame that temptation. So he's experienced it all, but he overcame. He had victory. And as such, he's perfect. He gets it. He's already had victory, and he has the power to give that same victory to you. That's what you need. When you need help, I need someone who understands me, who's winning, and has the ability to help me also win. And this is who the author of Hebrews is how he's describing Jesus. And again, it's this dual nature that makes it possible. Because he's human, he gets it. Because he's God, he wins and can give you, and has excess power to give to you to be able to help you overcome whatever it is. And if you think about it, you know, I mean, there's a couple of themes, obviously there's more than this, but there's a couple of Typical places that we go to when we're struggling with something, we need a little bit of help. One we go to, we'll just call him a buddy. I got a buddy. And so you've got some addiction, some, some, some sin that you are just battling with. It's getting, it's getting the best of you. And so you go to this buddy. It's like, man, I'm really struggling with this. And buddy, you know what buddy says? Me too. Okay. I don't know how to overcome this. And then buddy, what does buddy say? Me either. Now you're just two idiots who still ain't doing nothing. But at least, at least he gets it, and that's good. That's important. You need someone in your life who gets it. It helps you feel normal. It helps you feel like, like, like okay, I'm, I'm not alone. No one wants to feel uh, weird, and no one wants to be alone. And having a buddy who's been there with it, with you, that's good. But it's not going to help you. So the other thing that you can do is you pull out your phone. It's like, hey, Siri, I'm struggling with addiction. And what's she going to do? Like, I looked, on, I looked on the Internet for struggles with addiction. Some very helpful articles are going to come up, which is really good. You should read some of them. But I don't feel like Siri gets me, Right? And so it's helpful, but it's only a little bit. But what if those two things came together? Someone who totally gets where you are, but also has the power and the ability to overcome personally and to help you be an overcomer as well. That there's no temptation that you have faced that he does not understand. There's no temptation that you face that he does not have victory over. And there's no temptation that you are facing that he does not have the power to give to you so that you can do it as well. And all of that is possible and all of that is true because of the unique, the one and onlyness. The one and onlyness of Jesus Christ makes that possible. He is able to be exactly the kind of helper that I need. And so this matters. It It, it matters. The theological, these concepts matter. It matters just because it's true, because I'm trying to be in a relationship with God, and I want to know who Jesus really is. It matters because who He is and Him able to help me in my daily life, He is able to be the best possible help for me in my daily life because of His uniqueness. But there's one more thing where this dual nature becomes very critically important for us, And it's not just because of how he helps us, but it's because of the gospel. It's because of the gospel. And in the gospel, we have this idea. This is what we believe. It is the foundational piece of Christian theology that that Jesus Christ died for our sins. That is, in its essence, the gospel. And it's easy to say. It's only a short amount of words. It's a relatively simple concept in some ways, but it's incredibly complex and overwhelming in others. And next week, we're going to spend some extended time, kind of in the next section of the Apostles' Creed, taking a deeper dive into what that means, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. But at its simplest, what we mean is that you are a sinner, I am a sinner, we are sinners, and our sin has a consequence attached to it. It has a punishment attached to it. I need to be punished because of my sins, and the Bible describes that punishment as death. And so I have to die because of my sins, but Jesus died for you. He died for your sins. He died to take that punishment. And he then becomes the one who takes that punishment on. And um, Paul in 1 Timothy two five describes it this way. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And so what Paul is saying here is that there is one person, again, because of his one and onlyness, that is uniquely gifted to be the mediator between you and God. So there's a, there, what, do you, what do you need a mediator for, right? There's some sort of conflict that has to be resolved. There's a conflict, and for whatever reason, the two parties are unable to come to any real resolution. And so you bring in a mediator. So this happens often in marriages, for example. You've got marriage, and so... The husband and the wife, they don't see things the same way. They see the conflict so uniquely different that they don't even see where the other one is coming from. And ultimately, they need to go to someone for help. But who do they go to? So the guy says, you know we should talk to? you. You should talk to my friend because he and his wife, they do the same thing. And he can tell you what's really going on here. Nah. No. We ain't talking to your friend. I know what your idiot friend said. I heard what you got to say. Your idiot friend ain't gonna say nothing different. We're not going to your friend who we need to talk to. My girlfriends, my girlfriends, they get it. So I ain't talking to your girlfriend. Talking to one woman's bad enough. I ain't talking to all y'all. Are y'all the same? Y'all think the same? And like, no, that you, you imagine like his friend represents him. Her friends represent her. You need a mediator that, for whatever reason, because of their job, because of their nature, because of their emotional distance, because of their lack of relationship with either, because of their relationship with both, they have some quality about them that allows them to represent both parties. And so that's why, again, why Jesus is the perfect mediator. I get people, I have a human nature, I also have a God nature, and he is the perfect one to bridge the gap. Between us and God, He's a perfect mediator. But it was also it's it's essential. So let's just imagine for a second that Jesus was just just a human. He's just a guy, and he sees you who are are because of your sin you deserve to die. He's like, I want to die. Like I see all you people, I feel bad for all of you, and there just happens to be this one guy who's perfect. And there are uh, groups out there, cults, shall we say. That, that believe that, that Jesus was just a guy, the Jehovah's Witnesses being one, that they believe he's just a human, and he died for our sins in a way relatively similar to what we mean when we say that. Not the same, but relatively similar. And so he's just a guy, but he's a really good guy, he's a perfect guy, and so he dies on the cross. But if you're just one dude, I've got one life to give you. And so if I'm going to die for somebody, I'm going to die for one person. Because I am just one guy dying for one person. So I can take one person's place. I can't take everybody's place because I'm just one person. But if you are, in fact, not just someone with a human nature, but also with a God nature, your ability to pay the price for everybody exists. Because it's not just a human that died. But again, he needs to be human because he is dying as one of us for all of us. And so the gospel is possible because of this unique one and onlyness of who Jesus Christ is. He is the perfect mediator, he is the perfect high priest. He is everything that we need right now in order to start a relationship with God, to be forgiven and and to have life with Him. And He is everything that we need in order to sustain us and to help us along the way in our walk with God. And this is all possible, again, because of His one and onlyness, the uniqueness of who He is, His dual nature, that He is fully God and that He is fully human. And so as we respond, that's who we're worshiping. We're not worshiping some Jesus that we've invented. We're not worshiping some guy who, man, he's, he's real nice and he had some insight into God and he ran into some trouble and he died at a martyr. That's not who we're worshiping. There have been lots of people that have had unique insight with God and ran into trouble with government and were martyred. We're talking about the one and only the one who is fully God and fully human, the only one capable of mediating between you and God to start a relationship with Him, and the only one who can sustain you because He gets it and He has the power to help you overcome. That's who we're about to worship. So as you sing, sing to sing, sing the praises of that Jesus. As you pray, pray to that Jesus, the real one who has all of the power and all of the empathy to be just who we need. So we're going to sing and we can worship that way. As always, we have our response area in the back. There's communion available. A great way to celebrate um, and commemorate that sacrifice that this Jesus made for us. Take the bread, dip it in the cup. You don't have to be a member here to do that. Just a follower of Jesus. Uh, there's prayer candles. a place to pray at the cross. Our prayer team's been praying for you all morning. If you have something that they can pray for you for. They would love to do that. We have an opportunity to give. Our offering buckets are going to come by. and, And Jesus has given us so much that it is a very natural worship response to want to give back to Him. But let us worship fully and boldly today. And let us worship the one and only Son of God. Let's pray. God thank you, thanks for this time God thank you for sending your son thanks for not just sending an advice giver thanks for not just sending someone who just gets it but can't help or who can help but doesn't get it but God that you have sent us the perfect high priest the perfect mediator your one and only son the unique one And God, we worship Him today. We worship You today. And so God, I just... um, God, as You are expanding our minds about who You are, about who Your Son Jesus is, about You being fully God, Your Son is fully God, the Holy Spirit is fully God, but there's only one God, and Jesus who is fully God is also fully human. None of that makes sense. But God, we are on a journey of understanding and exploration of who you are and what you've done for us and what you can do for us and the hope and life that we can have with you. And so, God, I pray that we would not let anything hold us back. But God, that we would seek to know you and to follow you with everything that we are. And again, it's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.